0: You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Hey people, how are you doing? Welcome to the Sports Therapy Association podcast and you are listening to the dulcet tones of Matt Phillips creative my chat live because we do go out live. Um, and if you are listening to the podcast, thank you very much for tuning in. But if you'd like to join us live um, and have the joy of being to ask, ask our guests questions um, directly, then all you got to do is, is go on to the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel on a Tuesday at 8 o'clock. And that's how you join us. You don't have to be an STA member. Um, and it's a great way, a great chance to hang out, network, um, to spend some time with fellow soft tissue therapists and maybe find some people in your area. Um, and network that way. If you do decide to join us live and you ask a question um or make a comment, then I can bring your comment up onto the screen. For example, a very excited Glenn Murphy is first through the door this week and he's gone, let's get ready to rumble. He's actually put rubble, but Glenn's fingers it's his age, I think, is a little bit of arthritis or something. But you get the idea, you can type it um, and you can also get your logo up there. So we've talked about this a little bit before. Why not just get your Facebook logo and your business logo up there? So Um, All the people who listen and watch the show can see that. Sarah Jones is through the door. How are you doing, Sarah? Sarah says, good evening. Gary Benson, the founder of the STA, is in the chat as well. So if you have got any questions which you want to talk on the side to Gary, then use this time now to fire some questions his way. And more people are coming in. So that's how it rolls. It's always on Tuesday, 8 o'clock at the Sports Therapy Association. So last week, uh, before I bring up tonight's guests, uh, last week, just to mention... Uh, we started the Countdown to Therapy Expo 2023, which some of you are listening might not be familiar with. You might not know. It's a massive big show. I think it's the 11th year now. Um, and it's at the Birmingham NEC this year on Wednesday, November 22nd and Thursday, 23rd. Um, it started off in Manchester a couple of times, then it moved to Birmingham. Um, and the SDA has been there every single year in some form or capacity. And for the last few years, we've had the SDA Update Theatre within Therapy Expo which is a, a theatre within the actual conference um, and we have our own speaks and presentations. Normally people have been guests on the podcast, we manage to nick them for a while from the other theatres in there and they come and speak for us and we got a even fantastic, I mean every year I say it's always incredible but it's bigger and better than ever, the two days of practical presentations and theory presentations from what truly are world-class speakers. Um, so if you're interested in hearing about Therapy Expo, and indeed, hearing about the lineup for this year in the STA update theater, then uh, check out episode 164 on all good podcast apps. And also, if you want to watch it, just go to YouTube or you can go to the STA I was joined by Gary Benson, founder of the STA, Fiona Mw Higgs, who's the host of the Women's Sports Therapy Podcast, and also Tim Allardyce, creator of the F1 Patient. There we go. Right, so that brings us to tonight. I'm very excited tonight to have (laughs) I want to start by saying you know two of the most professional um, but I've just had a chat with them 10 minutes um, off air and obviously they're they're just humans as well but they're fantastic educators I'm not putting them down at all it's just lovely people and uh, wonderful massive names in the industry they're both called Claire which is fantastic it's gonna make my job very easy tonight I'm gonna sound like a schoolmaster calling them out by their surnames but we're going to be joined by Dr Claire Minshaw Um, who's been on the show numerous times a lot of you from the STA will know Claire's wonderful courses and through Get Back to Sport Um, and joining Claire Mitchell is Claire Robertson who's also been on the show some of you will know Claire as Claire Patella not her real name we'll talk about that later on and Claire as well there's a massive um wealth of information obviously to do with patellas which is tonight's uh, subject being the patella femoral joint from pain to performance um and the great thing is these two wonderful educators have got together to deliver a new course, uh, which is called the or Joint from Pain to Performance, the Complete Guide to PFG Rehabilitation. Um, and we're gonna be talking about that and the content and what brought these two uh, fantastic people together. As always, if you guys have got questions in the live lounge, and just fired them away, we're quite happy to answer your questions. Anything you're thinking, anything you wanna know, just put them in the comments and we'll bring them up. But I think that is a long enough uh, introduction. So, without any further ado, I shall bring up Dr. Claire Minchell and Claire Robertson. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Hello, Hello. how are you doing? Claire <laughs> <Minchell> <laughs> and Claire Robertson. I'm so sorry, I couldn't help but stumble before I said the word professional, which is terrible I'm at me. Laughing
1: laughing about
2: no. it. I know, noted. <laughs>
0: I'm sorry. I'm really. I'm really I actually you, If I was listening to the podcast, I have gone red because you're massively professional. It's just you're so such nice, relaxed humans as well. And sometimes in the academia world, as you well know, it doesn't always happen. Sometimes you get people a little bit snotty, and but you guys are not at all. You're totally sort of the earth. Absolutely. Is that fair enough?
1: I think that's the. Is that the brand, Claire? Not totally not snotty. <laughs> yes, that'll be on the T-shirt.
0: There you go. Another acronym. TNS. Fantastic right so thank you very much first of all for giving up your time really appreciate it i've uh, mentioned the course that um you two are offering we should point out now that i mean this is great news for you guys the the course the first this is the first course i think you put together for saint mary's university twickenham mm-hmm. this particular course sold out yeah
1: yeah 50, 50 places gone two weeks there yeah you how'd you feel we're thrilled yeah really pleased
0: you guys are probably used to it i mean you're no stranger to the game are you you've been you know doing this for a long time Well, I think so.
2: and, you know you think it's a great idea but the proof's in the pudding isn't it <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah we've got this great idea and then it's like silence so it's quite validating that's good it's not just us.
0: <laughs> that's good and we've talked about imposter syndrome a lot and 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 i think as someone who put some courses as well you're never 100 sure are you that it's going to feel you always kind of click that mm-hmm. button yep it's live event bright, let's see day one day two. Yeah. two oh my god day three going mm-hmm. to cancel it then. But,
1: yeah so and also, as well, it's like what you see as, um, I suppose, in your niche and, and things that are you feel that can be done better. Not that there's a criticism that comes with that, but uh, uh, I want to facilitate and help. But maybe people who um, can you aiming that at just are not tuned into that at all. Uh, so rather than it being a rubbish idea, maybe it's a, a decent idea, but nobody wants it as well. So. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, All so strict, we're, we're, we're really thrilled yeah we're
0: really excited for it yeah excellent right so i mean i just want to get straight in and and hear about the course but as we talked about a little bit off air i mean i know you guys really well and i mean we were just saying that claire robertson you were at therapy expo back in the beginning weren't you kind of like 214 215 <laughs> That's <Yeah>. in the <laughs> old days i know um and and, and claire i, mean, I think you have you been there every single year from the beginning or pretty much
1: no uh, no i think just four or five or something
0: just the last five years in a row yeah okay that's fair <laughs> enough that's fair enough but yeah so so you know i've known you for ages but i'm hoping that the people listen to podcasts it's really important that you that they don't know you otherwise all of this is a waste of time we're just kind of blowing air in an echo chamber so maybe clemish if we could start with you a little bit of an elevator pitch of who you are and how no. get back to what happened 60 uh, seconds go uh, go i'm
1: rubbish at this um so I'm Claire Minchel. So I'm a former academic. 50
0: seconds left.
1: Oh, right. Okay. (laughs) Former academic background in sports medicine and health, but latterly uh, in in more health-related populations, a real passion for osteoarthritis, and actually delivering decent uh, exercise interventions as a part of rehabilitation. Uh, to, to all populations so the approach might be elite but the individual um, also deserves it who's not an athlete so that's what really um, spurred me to set up Get Back to Sport <clears throat> it was originally called Get Back to Sport because that's what everybody was asking me how to do uh, but it's a wider limit to, to health um, and all conditions really MSK conditions so it's people generally understand it as strength and conditioning. Um, I'm I'm a neuromuscular physiologist actually but it's it's more translatable in into strength and conditioning so it's integrating that by means of teachings courses that kind of thing into kind of rehabilitation setting bridging that gap but there's a gaping cavern still it's getting a bit better between clinical and healthy Um, but the approach shouldn't be different we've still got the same musculoskeletal systems neuromuscular systems it's just that the the, the therapists have got a, a harder job in that you've got pain and kind of buying all these other things to deal with but the approach just because somebody is a patient who is in pain you know we shouldn't give substandard uh exercise prescription so yeah get back to sport is, is something that's a vehicle to do that and i also run joint approach as well which is uh, an online a multidisciplinary program for the management of osteoarthritic knee pain so I guess kind of in my money where my mouth is as well <laughs> so uh, slightly longer than a minute I think perhaps but um no, that's
0: fine no that's wonderful it felt like 60 seconds because it's all so valid I mean you I mean I I never get tired of recommending you because
1: because I pay most... you for with... oh. No, 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 because, yeah,
0: because those monthly feeders come so regularly. No, because soft tissue therapists, the one thing I think which soft, unites soft tissue therapists is in their training. They're taught all this wonderful manual therapy in different ways, you know, to rub, poke, and prod, and twist, and all these things. Um, but they're very limited when it comes to what about if we actually want to load somebody instead of just kind of rub, you know, and it's, and, and so the natural progression for a lot of soft tissue therapists, if you really want to help this person, unless you want to work with a strength and conditioning coach down the road, if you want to, you know be able to help them as well you're gonna to have to get into the kind of the exercise prescription yeah like it. and
1: it's also bridging the gap as well we don't want a person to be a patient and then suddenly a non-patient or mm. an athlete or vice versa there's that blend that's 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 needed so you know if i can help kind of <laughs> blur those lines a little in the best possible way then that's absolutely my my pleasure you know um and i've, I've been so fortunate with my own rehab on Far too many <laughs> injuries and things that that I that I'd wish for. Having that knowledge myself has enabled me to kind of do that a little bit for me. So if I can do that, why can't I? You know, if I if I share that with with individuals that are making a, a big difference and more more people, then um, yes, yeah, I said that that's that's my pleasure.
0: Amazing. And if people are interested in a chronological look at the history of um, Claire Minchel's accidents and involving various, yeah. <laughs> then just look uh, back at our different episodes and and yeah, there's something there for everyone. Reads like a Jack Reacher novel, brilliant. Um, I'm glad to see that you're fully functioning and happy now. But yes, um, yeah, look at back at uh, Claire's been on the show probably three times, and each time I think it's coincided with some kind of near fatal accident. So. Yeah, it's <laughs> all there. It's all there. Um, but but I feel here. free
1: to bail no. <laughs> Oh my god!
0: But the important thing is, yeah, everybody who we you send your way comes back singing, dancing, and loving it. So you're doing a great job, and really important for soft tissue therapists. And you're going to be at Therapy Expo um this year. I'm just going to bring this up on the screen for people who love uh, this sort of information. So I think this is the latest information, and um, so there's going to be a couple of sessions which are going to be in Theatre C on Day 2, which is the Thursday. So if you're listening and going to Therapy Expo or thinking about it and you're interested in um, the S&C side of things, then um, Claire is going to be delivering the first one. I've got down as 11.30 on Day 2, how to optimise rehabilitation for the OA knee, osteoarthritic knee, stronger muscles and a stronger mind. And then at 2.45 in the afternoon, how to properly use your handheld dynamometer to generate meaningful results. Which is something we were talking about actually just a few weeks ago with Keith Burnett, Metro right. sixty one. We were seeing the praises of just having a dynamometer, and they don't have to cost it's much. Right. It's a great class.
1: having a tool. I'm I'm such a, a geek when it comes to to assessment and dynamometry, and my first, in fact, my PhD viva, I was a, a, examined by a biostatistician, which wasn't a good idea to say yes to, but um, it's it's so important. You can have figures. But if you don't know if the, you, you don't know what level of confidence you've got in those figures, it's, you know, it's the, the arbitrary. So, you you know, it's a, it's a really, really uh, important point that goes alongside uh, assessment. So if those assessments are meaningful, then it can help um, shape your rehabilitation, you know, make help you make decisions. But if you've got such vast variability associated with that measurement, then it, you know, if you do use it, then worst case scenario, you're doing the, kind Of True. making wrong decisions, worst case, it means nothing. So, um, yeah, some good, simple things you can do to even help improve those um, measurements.
0: That's that's gonna be such a valuable one to go to. I don't want to say that for so many people, but that's the first time I've said it actually. But that's so important because it's it doesn't have therapists spend so much money sometimes, so much money on stuff, and, and the handhold one hasn't got a cost of fortune. We're talking to you with Kate, yeah. and it just and it, it'll help your career because then you can give tangible results to the coach. Or the manager who wants to see, well, how, why is your screening helping? Why, is, why have I got to spend eight weeks on this week? What's getting better? And there you go. Look at the strength here. Look how the strength yeah. correlates with that. And it's like, OK, I'll give you some money then. Uh, otherwise, he's getting better. Oh, really? OK.
1: Yeah. It's not
0: really going to yeah. really cut it. Right.
1: Give me be a great talk. Really important. And um, here's the thing. So why do you have to take three measurements rather than one? And the level of precision that's required with intra-individual assessments versus a group which again is another uh, addition that um, therapists kind of need to think about if they're going to use those for feeding back. So, um, anyway, I digress. I might stop talking about that. <laughs> Sorry, guys. No,
0: it's great. I uh, really good. it. And uh, fantastic. Right. That's, I've left Claire, well, Claire, we'll Claire Robertson.
1: We'll
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. So, there's our warm up. That's the warm up packed. Now we move over to the, uh, the heavy academia of it. Claire Robertson, Sorry to leave you for so long
2: that's right. I was just listening and enjoying it
0: so um same yeah same thing for you if you'd be so kind let the listeners have a brief history of yeah what she, sure. how you became Claire Patella <laughs> yeah. there you go. So,
2: I'm a consultant physiotherapist in a patella femoral pain and for about the last ooh, 20 years actually I have uh, had a sort of triangulated career between uh second opinion patella femoral patients um research and teaching and my teaching nowadays is all housed, sort of excuse me through Claire Patella which is my um my business so uh and it came about because I it's quite funny I don't know if you know the story Matt how it came about over the Claire Patella thing I was presenting at Oh, primary, care, uh, uh, yeah, NEC Primary Care Conference ages ago. Twitter had just been born, pretty much. And someone said you've got to have a Twitter account, and I said, oh, what am I going to call it? And I said, oh, I'll just call it Claire Patel.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so what it does. Yeah, and yeah.
2: that's how, and <laughs> that's how the Claire Patella thing was. That doing. was
0: 2013 because I did look at your Twitter. I saw Claire Mitchell first of all and thought, wow, you've been on Twitter since 2012. Um, I know. You have.
2: I thought it? I thought oh, that is
0: not. a long time, you know. And then I thought, for example, let's look at Claire Robertson 2013. It's <laughs> like the year after. So. But isn't that incredible yeah. how long Twitter's been around for? It's a big yeah. year, two twelve, two thirteen. That was yeah. the first therapy expos.
2: And that's when yeah. suddenly
0: we all jumped on it.
2: Exactly. So, um, but yeah, so my big passions are m- around making both my teaching and my research meaningful to clinicians so all my research is driven by things i see again and again and again like my crepices research thinking what's going on here no more, why is no one looks at this 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 needs to be looked at and um and then my teaching it's very important for me it can't just be interesting it's got to be useful so i want to empower people i want to, to leave feeling i can do this i don't want to be seen as the big guru and make them feel, oh, gosh, you know, I can never be like that. I just want people to think, yeah, I, could, I can do this. I understand this. I can't wait to see my next patient with cellofermoral pain. So that's sort of the driver, really. Um, and I think Claire and I share a lot of that mindset together, which was, you know, one of the reasons why we came together, really, because we realised we were really on, on the same page.
0: Yeah, I can, I can hear that totally listening to you. Um, things like taking kind of the research and putting it into clinical practice—it just that's, I think, one of the one of the many factors I think which brought you two together, and uh, yeah, and why your courses are so successful. I think because it's exactly what it does. It does because it can be scary, can it? People kind of run away a little bit if there's talk about academia and research, and oh, where do I find these papers? And I can't get full access and all that, and and, and they kind of avoid it. And it shouldn't be that way. It's just sometimes it's presented in a little bit of a snotty way. So. Excellent. Um, and, and clairepatella.com is your website. I'll just bring it up for people on YouTube so you can see that, I think. I'll do that. There we go. And again, there's courses on there and blogs and a lot of information. Um, and also what I mentioned or what we talked about off air, you're still doing your pick of the bunch, hmm. talking about kind of what's out there. Talk us through that. What? And yeah, so
2: well. people can just sign up to that on the website and it basically it's free and I simply highlight what are the three papers from the last quarter that I think are most useful for clinicians to be aware of. So, you know, it, it's not gonna be anything that's just sort of lab based and it's impossible to see how you can integrate that into clinical practice. It's all about oh. what I can what what can I read and go, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. okay that's
0: that's useful i can uh, i can apply that fantastic which is really refreshing because the trend these days with with papers released is to kind of put it up a tiktok video and slag it off for five minutes while she's sitting there making funny faces and ridicule <laughs> something that you were saying five years ago as if you never said it so it's so not mentioning any names but it's really refreshing to see somebody who's actually being proactive and saying that these three things have come up and, and this is what we think about it is it all to do with patellas or do you digress <laughs>
2: I, I I will sort of go sideways slightly to the distal ITB. Or oh, wow. That's a journey yeah,
0: for you. Wow, that must feel or, really um, weird.
2: Or maybe <laughs> I might go south to the infant patella fat pad.
0: That's south. Know,
2: I'm feeling brave. Um, but, yeah.
0: So people never know what part of the knee you're going to be talking about. So I know. So I just
2: getting on the edge of their seat. Yeah.
0: I think in the last chat we had, I think you said the idea of treating someone with a shoulder is just abhorrent to you and, and scary as hell you could never move away from the knee now because it's
2: no,
0: <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> excellent right well thank you for that um uh all links to websites and things we're talking about will obviously go into the show notes if you're listening to the podcast um just go to podbean's probably, probably best but you can also go to the STA uk and YouTube I add them eventually so if you're looking for these links to websites and things then they will be there. Right then so this course we can see why you guys got together. Um, and we can see why it's sold out. But it's it's a massive topic. You guys are claiming now to provide the complete guide to PMJ implementation. <laughs> yeah, that's the T-shirt.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. No the complete guide. The complete, you've got to call it something that that. Uh, of course. The that, hook. I think. Obviously, it's, it's not going to be the ultimate complete guide. And, and as we're putting it together, there's so many extra things that we could put in. And but what I think it does do is like you said at the start integrates two different types of expertise but you know with a uh, with, without being uh, disjointed so with a with a common theme to to looking at the, the patellofemoral joint and then thinking specifically about some really detailed things and how we can um look at that completely I suppose would be the better way and and take them from that presentation through to what they want to be doing
2: yeah and we were really keen that it wasn't sort of I do the morning all about the patella and then does <laughs> the afternoon all about exercise that was like absolutely what we didn't want so we made sure that the whole day all the way through is really integrated and you know really pooling that expertise between us
0: and that's, you've just answered my question, actually, where it's not just going to be one morning this, one afternoon that, it's, it's putting it all together. So does that suggest that there is a little bit of a gap in the approach which some therapists apply to this knee when they're trying to assess and treat this one side or the other? They're either just thinking about the rehab, and they don't know enough about the anatomy and morphology, or do you think there's a, a gap and that's why you're joining this and trying to present it all together?
1: you go first if you want on, on the PFJ specific. well i think the thing is i think
2: it, it, it's an area that often gets treated quite recipe like so a bit of a coverall basis maybe if are giving them some glutes some quads a bit of stretches maybe pop an orthotic in their shoe something might work happy days well actually we look at the literature on adherence to exercise and you start going even over three exercises very often the adherence will drop off so that's a major flaw um, so then you've got the sort of just can't go wrong getting strong brigade but actually as much as you know we like strength and we talk going to talk obviously a lot about strength on the day we need to also be more sophisticated than that we need to say yeah but what if this person is fearful of exercise what if this person hears their knee making a funny noise when they're doing their strength exercise so actually just a blanket give everybody a load of squats and lunges that doesn't cut it either so it's sort of finding our way through and finding those areas that actually really will elevate people although they're quite simple measures elevate people in their expertise treating this this patient population
1: and again from a from an exercise perspective it's you know if you're just looking at that as a an intervention you know what what is you know if you want somebody to get stronger we 've talked about this so many times on on this podcast. if you want to get something stronger what 's what are you going to do with them? How are you going to do it How much are you going to load them for how long are you think about rest? rest? you think you know if you want to improve speed of muscle activation, so we actually integrate strength and rate of force development and switch on times of muscles for where you 've got a need for a strong muscle, but you 've also got a need potentially in a different presentation where we might prioritize speed and muscle activation for help rectify a, a, an instability a, a little better. How do you differentiate between the, the presentation? Of, you could maybe even do exactly the same exercise, but the way in which you do it be very different to elicit those specific outcomes. And it's, it's, it, it's um, optimizing that input-output equation that, that, that you're doing with your patients so or what you're doing with your patients is going to have the, the best effect. Uh, and then also what they're doing as a result of your instruction. So they, the physiologic adaptation as well. Um, just again, yeah, as suppose to um, highlight is that, that nuanced approach, which isn't complicated. Again, just to reiterate what Claire has said, it's not rocket science. It's doing the basic things to imagine me as a rocket scientist. <laughs> might make it to Yorkshire. Um, <laughs> it's doing the basic things, understanding what that is, and doing that uh, effectively, and with the the clinical presentation, how you um, establish that hierarchy of importance of of, of what.
0: So. I'm interested, going back to what you said, um, Claire, about kind of considering some of the psychosocial factors, if there's kind of kinesthobia or something, or scare of movement. And is this Is this, because there's this idea maybe that if you're dealing with a non-athlete, there's going to be more of that. And then if you're dealing with a, an elite athlete, there's going to be none of that, and they're all ready to do everything you want. So, I mean, how does it differ? I don't know whether that's right or wrong, and I'm interested to know, but do you cover that sort of differences between the person in front of you, you know, Level of their exercise and knowledge and all that.
2: Yeah, we're making a quite a substantial part of the day case-based. So, and we're looking at really varied cases to help really illustrate these points. But you know, fear can be present. It's very dangerous to be presumptuous. And fear can be present, of course, in someone sedentary who's never exercised and has the feeling, well, exercise is harmful. But also, actually we can have fear in our elite athlete whose pain has come on through their training and therefore they feel, Oh my goodness, you know, I'm nervous about going back to it because my pain is improving. I don't want to make it worse again. So, you know, you can have fear. And that's just, that's just fear of pain and exercise. There's fear wrapped around crepitus. Um, There's fear about moving in certain ways, doing certain movements like crouching, kneeling, Might be that the fear is of, um, you know, something more effective like jumping, but fear can present anywhere. So we're looking at case based work quite a bit of the day to really explore this.
0: Excellent, sounds amazing. And I have interest what sort of people are you expecting to come along to this? Is it going to be a mix of different disciplines or who have you advertised it to, or who who would benefit from coming to it? And what sort of level of information yeah. should they have already?
1: We've got um, a range of, of backgrounds. I think majority of people are physiotherapists. That being said, there are other therapists in there as well. So from your kind of soft tissue, soft tissue therapists, everybody with that interest mm-hmm. in rehab and particularly with the, with the PFJ, um, uh, some chiropractors, osteopaths, uh, um, sports medicine doctors uh, coming along, SEMs. Um, so, you're no know, pressure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's lovely as well. I mean, that's amazing. Any events I've gone to a workshop where there's a, mix, a multidisciplinary kind of delegates there, that's wonderful as well. Just a great chance to talk to each other. And go, oh, I didn't realise you did that. Oh, I didn't realise. But surely you just click bones and you just think, and, and it's not at all. So, that should it be amazing. Is. I
2: think as well at postgraduate teaching, there's such a richness you can get from the room. Mm. And, you know, as much as we're sort of giving them a framework, if you like, to apply, I often say you then use your physio toolkit, you know, what, in terms of how you like to handle or move and um, perhaps verbal cues that you use, you know. Um, we're not going to say you must do it exactly like this because that's disempowering. We're going to say, look, here's the framework. Now go and hang that rich tapestry of experience, and that's the kind of science versus art thing, isn't it? All of these things that bring that artistry in, but just make sure that you're hanging it on a evidence-based, considered backbone, if you like. So I think I like. I like again, Claire and I've talked about this a lot about doing group work within the day, tapping into that experience within the room and empowering people it's really important that they realize how much experience and you know i think 50 50 delegates you know if the mean is 10 years qualified that's a lot of years of experience in the
0: room yeah that's really good because you think of the traditional kind of guru-led courses all you're going to do is create these therapists who act like a guru with their patients they're kind of just getting getting all that communication
1: in that you are a guru <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: But that now, hopefully, is being pushed aside now to to uh, somebody who's leading it, and they're still, they're facilitating them. Or what? It's more like led by the delegates, isn't it? What would you do? I couldn't,
1: I couldn't stand in front of fifty people and say I'm the font of all knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, oh, two people even, you know, one person. How could I be so arrogant to say that 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 you know what I know is a lot more and better than you? So, what as I always said, and I know. Claire feels similarly. It's it's a sharing of what what we've accrued over time through our own personal research, practice, deployment, other teaching experience, and bringing that to a room of individuals that that um, very kindly want to hear about it. That we can we can share with them. As as Claire's saying, you layer that on uh, or weave it into your existing experience and share within the group as well. I always start my courses saying, "There's a wealth of experience in here." Talk, <laughs> talk. You know, I don't know everything. Um, definitely, Todd. So, um, I learn often times as well.
0: Sounds great. Sounds really good. Let's get into some of the nitty-gritty of the actual course. Like, what is what in there? Let's maybe. What's it like? Have you either of you got a particular favourite where you think, right, this is going to really be interesting for people? Let's get into this. I mean, I know the whole course is going to be exceptional. <laughs> is there a particular part of it where you're looking forward to presenting because you think that's really going to help people?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I know, um, I should I'm excited for it all. Um, this is obviously the first run through and, and we'll see how it how it all goes together. The way in which we've planned it is, and I think we've got quite a bit of experience of running courses between us, so I think we're, we're pretty confident how it's going to go. But um, I'm excited to see the integration of, of, of two people's work. Um, I have to say that the facility is second to none. is just amazing. Um, I might take a sleeping bag. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, doing some of the, the exercise interventions, the loading, the differentiating between uh, types of loading and exercise adaptation. So let's not think about deloading as a first strategy if we're presented with with pain. Uh, for me, is exciting. But what's even more exciting is uh, I think we are just uh, I joined the call as, as Claire's just speaking, saying that we've learned from each other. I, I've learned a, a lot from Claire, um, and I'm excited to integrate what I know with her knowledge, mm-hmm. such that we can ex- uh, adapt exercise, present it to different uh, presentations, if you like, or different um, uh, types of uh, patellofemoral pain with in different ways. Um, a commensurate with the diagnostic skills that, that Claire's going to um, facilitate and deliver. So um, all of it. <laughs> yes. That's
0: a cop-out, was not it? Swiftly to Claire Robertson. I'm
2: afraid I'm going to be a bit annoying. So I feel the same, really. And I guess one of the things that I'm really looking forward to is hopefully getting people to move away from this recipe like, right, telephone mm-hmm. will pay, this this and this and I think that I'm really hoping that by the time we get to the case studies in the afternoon which we've given a lot of time to we're going to really see that actually we've got our postpartum mum who's trying to get running again fit and she's getting patella femoral pain and actually we've got our sort of um trying to our cases now Claire, but our um our cases <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're well, um, an old, older person with um that was it's coming back to activity, didn't we? That's um, right, oh,
2: uh, that's right. And someone then that's had low back pain got over the low back pain, but it's left them with some gluteal strength deficits, and then that's adolescent me. as well, isn't there? No. And then adolescent, so you know, really, I, I, I'm looking forward to hopefully really seeing that um, people that are perhaps at the start of the day might have gone, Okay, for telephone pain, I need to do this, this, and this, morphing into now I have a way of breaking this down okay and i'm more confident to put my cards on the table and just go down this route or go down this route and yeah i think for, for me that's um that's the bit that i'm perhaps really looking forward to
1: so
0: that was a good
1: answer. i think fine. it's drawing on each other's research as well and and um, mm. when we first got together and started chatting Um, I found it fascinating to hear some of Claire's research that looks at the morphological characteristics of in particular the VMO so under most circumstances I often advocate a strength first approach because that's most often the thing that gets missed doesn't get rehabbed properly and also with any degree of inhibition um, even just deconditioning because of something else, bed rest, for example, we lose um, uh, strength really quickly. And if you've got a short period of time, that's something that you can seek to remedy quicker than other things, potentially. But under one particular, I'm not going to give the whole game away here, but under some circumstances or one particular presentation, it might be that the hypertrophic uh, intervention, so increasing the muscle cross-sectional area of the near extensive group, uh, including the VMO might be the priority under these particular circumstances, which is it's it's made me rethink uh, things a little bit, uh, or quite a lot, particularly for that presentation. So um, yeah, I'm I'm quite excited to to uh, to talk about that. Excellent,
0: excellent. Um, I did another question there, but you jumped in and then. Oh, I'm glad. That's I'm good. sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine um talk to me about um variance in knees because i'm more, i'm particularly i'm interested in that i think part of your course is looking at kind of variance within the morphology within the shape and how much that can change your expectations and your treatment what sort of without giving too much bit of a away but what are some some of the uh things you look into with regards to that
2: sure well i think um you can get a scenario where you get a grossly abnormal knee and that will start presenting blindingly obvious in a way you know age 11 kiddie starts dislocating so okay that's the most extreme and if we have a spectrum of highly highly abnormal and abnormal we've got everything in between and there's a whole middle ground where they their their bony shape or their um patella tendon length is uh, uh, or their quads attachment is not in the let's say the sort of perfect perfect size shape position and yes you can do all sorts of fancy measurements on mri but i'm going to very easily show people actually how you can just get a flavor for this with your eyes and your hands and have an assessment of this because understanding it then can really help you work out well actually this person needs this well this person needs this and then Claire can then come in and say, well, OK, so from an exercise perspective, how can we help this person? How can we, um, you know, optimise our exercise intervention to meet the demands that we've spotted that they've got morphologically? So it's an area that I is isn't talked about very much. And part of that is the lack of literature on the area. But this is where I think, you know, you have to sort of say sometimes you've got to, Look at clinical experience and I had a, a milestone recently, Claire, what I'm about to say. And that's that I went past my ten thousandth knee patient and
0: <laughs>
2: seeing these wow. And um <laughs> thing is though, you know, I'm not going to ignore the pattern recognition from seeing 10,000 patients with telfomoral pain. And seeing these patterns emerging with some of these um, morphological issues uh, is really powerful to impact on your practice and then make your exercise interventions really effective. So it's it's making something that sounds really complicated, just saying, look, use these, use these. This is what you can do.
0: Mm -hmm. Excellent. What else? Keep going. Variance.
2: Uh, So hypermobility, that's something else we'll look at. And there's some nice recent literature that we can pull on as well, looking at strength in um, stre- uh, in patients with hypermobility. Can't mm-hmm. say too much.
0: No, I no, mm-hmm. I just wanted to get those buzzwords in, like, <laughs> like mobility. And um, how much does? I mean, it's really interesting. There's this so much interesting. thing what you there seems to be a change now in in the the way that people look at stretching. Uh, I'm not sure how much is brought about by research or how much we kind of swung the pendulum too far the other way saying oh you don't need to stretch it and blah 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 but now there's kind of this idea that stretching is itself actually a type of loading it's still having a similar effect have you seen that i'm interested to know whether that's just a little bit of a thing that's going through Twitter at the moment or should we be reconsidering you need to get stronger not more flexible
1: well, what what's the goal of stretching? That's that's ultimately the question. As with anything, right? So, what is it that you want to achieve? What is the deficit or the performance parameter you want to change? I recently have written a couple of blogs on my site about stretching. Mm-hmm. One of which is provocatively titled "It's stretching is a waste of time." Uh, <laughs> no, it's not totally. And you're right, stretching can be. Uh, so, if we're looking at um, Tissue elongation. We're looking at uh, contractile performance. So the worst case scenario, let's say, is you elongate uh, tissue, but you don't commensurately improve its contractile capability. So you get um, uh, a greater range of motion, uh, tissue distensibility, but you haven't got the contractile properties to be able to to perform at that length.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of injuries happen at long muscle lengths or extended joint positions, so that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, so what we you know, if we do want to elongate uh tissue, we want to increase range, for example, then we'd also want to be able to control <laughs> that range and also be strong at that range. So we're starting to think about the exercise interventions that can do that. And are we thinking about the muscle, the muscle tendon? Um, what is it that we're trying to change in terms of of, of morphology? But if we just think about the musculature. Um, let's say eccentric type loading training done intensely enough can bring about a change in um, the length tension relationship so you uh, are stronger at longer muscle lengths and um, that's good okay potentially if, we, if we're thinking about that injury scenario of being potentially injured at longer muscle lengths or extended joint positions um, and we could go off a, on a, a tangent at that but come back to your um question about stretching so if we again if we want to increase range should we do stretching well and you're right there is research that's showing that actually you can stretch and increase the contractile properties of the musculature however the intensity of that stretch needs to be pretty significant um and a paper that i talk about on my blog is that um there were uh, it conveyed so the stretching intervention compared to a, a resistance training intervention they they both conveyed some uh, improvements in muscular strength in, improvements in and um the uh the range as well but the stretching intervention was an hour long and it, it was the stretch was externally applied so, in order to generate enough force through that tissue it 's likely you need external help for that, so, you holding uh, you know pushing doing the calf stretch against the wall or kind of sitting on your your, your heels or whatever that 's not going to be sufficient to provoke that loading into the tissue to cause it to adapt. You need that external overload and to generate i don 't know twenty percent gains in muscular strength if possible. Um, you might have to commit to an hour um, six times a week uh, of a constant stretch uh, versus maybe, I don't know, 15 minutes three times a week as a strength Mm -hmm. training intervention. So again, it's bang for your buck or optimising that input-output equation. So stretching might also have other, obviously... um, Uh, effects again it's it's coming down to the application and and why are you doing it so i'm not saying stretching is bad per se but what's the reason and if it's to improve contractile properties i think we've got a better better way of doing that if it's acutely post surgery and you're trying to increase range and think about other other ways of distending tissue then maybe it's slightly safer but
0: thank you okay anything else to add
2: well, I think, yes, and I think there, there's some sort of wild claims, aren't there, around stretching, and I think, you know, we, we're we certainly not adding sarcomeres in series. I think, you know, we need to think more around um, tone, and I've actually um, got some published work on this where we've looked at the angle of the vastus lateralis fibres using ultrasound relative to the femoral axis and shown that with... Um, sort of PNF-type stretching, hold, relaxed-type stretching, um, and also the same effect with another arm we did with with foam rolling. Those patients that, or subjects, I should say, that had a large fibre angle to start with, so to contextualise that, that would be like your classic cyclist with really big VLs that might seem really high-tone intense. The patients with that big angle were the ones that had... um, significant change um, measured from those bone rolling um, or um, the PNF-type stretching. So it, intuitively, for me, that fitted with my clinical practice. Those patients that come in and they're so tense and you want to get your hands stuck in, you know, and release that, that VL and relax the tone, I think we can do that with soft tissue massage, potentially my work is showing on the vl that we can do that with foam rolling or um, the, the pnf type stretching as well and that is potentially useful for the patella joint because it means there is less lateralizing force when you've got a vl that's like that it's all of its pull is lateral whereas if, if the tone is reduced the fibers sit more vertically than one would like to think that the load is spread more symmetrically, which has got to be a good thing.
0: Okay. Fantastic. Thank you very much. It's 12 minutes to, um, and I was asked to mention this to you because it's a word that comes up in a lot of training for, well, it's even mentioned in level threes, which these days is for soft tissue therapists. So i supposed to work with injured tissue, but they hear it straight away. because It's like a flag for, Oh, watch out for this. You can do this little mobility test and we'll go to their kneecap. The telemal tracking oh for those who listen to the podcast we've just got a beaming smile from claire Mitchell and a kind of a knowing nod from claire robertson but yeah <laughs> it's so, a, uh, <laughs> so
2: what, 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 what do you want to know about it
0: <laughs> well i mean it's on the one side there's it's still being taught there's oh you're level four now right makes sure you do this mobility test the patella and if there's too much movement there then that could be what's causing this knee pain and then you've got the other side of the pendulum, people saying it's ridiculous. And the idea of patella maltracking is just a myth, and misconception. But
1: to clarify, and you mean to identify if the patella might there's too much mobility yeah. mobilising the patella in a, an extended knee position? Exactly.
0: And then yes, looking yes. at the move, the journey it takes expecting it once again the norm is it's going to move nice and smoothly down the center when you kind of put your fingers there and if you see one which is kind of deviating a bit to the left or the right and not bang in the middle and that could be a cause of the pain so
2: well i think it's when you when you're looking at the patella position in supine it's one piece of information and i'm i wouldn't totally discount it but it's a piece of information amongst many so for example sometimes someone stands up and their patella position is totally different straight away And then they put a shoe on and it's different again. And then they stand on one leg and it's different again. And then maybe they do a squat and it's different again. So we have to say, you know, how how relevant is it where the patella is sitting in supine? I am interested in the amount of passive movement because I'm interested in to know sort of where on that spectrum actually is it hypermobile? Does it feel, actually? are they apprehensive? Do they not like that? Okay, so are they actually unstable? Or if it feels hypomobile, I might say, what's the other side like? Is this their normal? Or actually, hang on a minute, they're six months post-ACL reconstruction and their rehab has been going quite well and then they've developed patellofemoral pain. And hang on, oh, they're telling me they had swelling for quite a long time that you found difficult to shift. So, okay, what's the legacy of that swelling? The swelling's gone now, but they've been left with a sort of slightly gums up patella. So, I know that's not a straightforward answer, but it's back to context again and just reasoning it through. What am I feeling? Is it their normal? Is it relevant given their history? What happens when I when they then move, stand, etc.? Is that okay? Is that a really? That's great. That's wonderful.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's, 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 that's great. I'm just giving um, Minchiel time to reflect and
1: add. I like <clears throat> what Claire said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, yeah. I think that's it's, just, it's, it's, it's illustrating, isn't it, that we, we have to have this uh, individualised approach because if we just use, like Claire said before, a recipe, X plus, you know, X equals Y. So you've got a patella that seems to be hypermobile while somebody's um, got an extended, like, therefore, we're going to give them these exercises. You'd be, Maybe it might work in a few cases, but probably not the majority. So, um, yeah, it's, it's having that, um, even just a few extra bits that you can add into that equation to help that with that decision-making process.
0: I think a lot of the time the idea is if it's moving one way, then the muscle's pulling it that way. And if it's moving the other way, the muscle's pulling it the other way. And then the prescription is quite simply if it's moving that way, you need to do this to strengthen it. So there's this idea that I'm interested in this. How easy is it to actually direct what quad you're going to be strengthening?
1: Have you got a muscle stimulator? Not on me. Because then then you can put that over the Vmo can't you and externally apply the, the stimulus <laughs> but so, I think...
0: so there are different ways of performing the exercise and you can stimulate more lateral or medial or
1: I think I think we're moving away from that a little yeah. bit really that you know if you look at and this is where Claire's research and, and knowledge is, exceeds mine but from what what I have read and what I uh, have seen that uh, think really, you know, individuals that say with patellofemoral pain who've got muscle atrophy. I don't think we see a really big difference between extent of atrophy of VMO versus other quads. And I think some of the more recent studies that are looking at kind of EMG on and jump in here for if you if you've read different stuff or you've done different stuff here that's showing that um, you know when we're doing uh, quad based exercise. Um, that it's really difficult. Let's let's say to, to isolate one yeah. the extensor from the other when we're doing the uh, or, or, or as I say the extension work or work that involves the, the knee extensors eccentrically. Um, there's ways in which you can bias muscle group by by positioning um, whether that be foot position hip position whatever. But I think it's you know to try and set out to optimally optimize your prescription to the vmo i think you'd probably be best um investing those efforts kind of elsewhere and maybe go for the whole quad and think about symptom resolution symptom um uh not resolution symptom uh, accommodating symptoms
2: yeah and i think adding with that i sort of look at it the flip way rather than saying how can i select the vmo out is to say how can i make sure that my exercise prescription doesn't switch the VMO or down-regulate the VMO because of pain, swelling, time of day, angle I'm doing it at, fear, or all of the things that can. And we know the VMO seems to be quite quick to uh, perform poorly, particularly in the presence of pain or swelling. So, you know, I think it's more about making sure that your exercise prescription is such that you're not inadvertently
1: feeding the problem yeah symptom modification that was the word i was looking yeah, yeah. for <laughs> it's getting late. Oh, yes. oh, that's the knock on the head
0: <laughs> well i wasn't going to say anything but yeah um excellent yeah just just i'm not going to let you get away with it completely there claire robertson like so what would you take out of the equation to make sure that that vmo is being stimulated then you mentioned like that could be afraid or so,
2: For example, I'm a big fan of talking to patients about time of day because often their pain is quite different at different times of day. Often it can get worse as the day goes on. But when do people tend to do their exercises when they get in from work or or after the school run or whatever at the end of the day? So just saying, well, hang Um, on, actually, your your muscle is going to perform better. Muscle trying to get stronger is going to perform better in the absence of pain. Or even if we need to, using analgesics, and saying like, okay, have the analgesics and then do your exercises half an hour later. Or in fact, there was a nice paper by Laura a couple of years ago showing ice before the exercises in the presence of pain and or the swelling can be really effective in improving um, force generation. So actually just looking at those simple measures, you know, time of day, time of analgesics, Doing it after ice. And then what exercises? I mean, it's interesting running a second opinion service. You know, patients will often cite, they would give them squats and lunges because I was told I needed to get stronger, but they really hurt. And I said, So what, what What did you do? Oh, I just stopped doing them.
0: I got you. Yeah, right.
2: yeah. So, you know, just making that sure you engage with were... the MO, want it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. so moving you know moving away from that same or everyone gets the same program that sort of generic knee program say so this patient can tolerate this really well they're doing that exercise beautifully this patient i really saw with that and i particularly saw in the evening so let me make sure they're doing this earlier in the day and a different exercise
0: brilliant excellent as long as it's not leg extension machine because they're really bad for you, aren't they? they Oh,
1: sheer forces. Oh, my God, yeah. Just stoned her. This should be banned.
0: (laughs) Um, But then again, you know, it's tricky because we do live in an age where, you know, it's good... You know, well-meaning therapists look at the internet, and there are things which are trying to, you know, say something new and different. So, but yeah, that's really that broken it down nicely. Thank you, Claire Watson, for that. that. That's brilliant. So, by finding a way for the patient to be able to do the exercise and not suffer so much in pain, you're more likely to stimulate the weaker muscle. Yeah, and then
2: you're right to to it. Yeah. let's face it: who wants
0: brilliant. to go and do a painful exercise seven times a week? Excellent. It's eight fifty-seven. You, you've absolutely silenced the room. I mean, people here. Apart from the faint noise of pencil lead hitting paper as you're talking, I can't hear anything else from there. So thanks for joining us, people. Thanks for coming and just watching, people in the live lounge.
1: No questions. you yeah. okay. There's so no much, question man. there at all. Let's stop well,
0: coming through now. Sorry, taking notes. And there be apologies. But anyway, <laughs> um, fantastic. So, um, yeah, three minutes, two minutes to. So I'm going to have to say thank you very much for joining us. I think, I mean, there's so much there um to entice people to do the course but in my yeah, opinion it's just you're not you're not like you say you're not rocket scientists you just you're conduits giving information that probably the therapist would go yeah that makes sense but it needs people like yourselves to actually i mean it's almost as if you're delegates to the patients you need to get them in the right environment and then share the information and then just let the coin drop sort of thing And look I, like, I, I think it's like i'm saying i often say look the
2: dots are all there
1: i'm just gonna have to throw them up cool and and, um yeah if you have a have a read on the website as well so we will be running other dates so we've got i mean honestly we've been blown away by the interest for this so so many people um wanting to run the course as well and internationally too and um so we we absolutely will be running some more of these so if you wanted information on that priority information there is a a sign up on um on the website so on my website getbacktosport.com uh, on the in-person courses, there's the PFJ from for pain, <laughs> pain to performance. Easy for me to say. <laughs> um, so, if you, whilst it says it's sold out for the particular one in in Twickenham, you can. There's a box there to tick and to fill out your name and email address, and we will put you on the list for preferential um, sign-up and information for the for the next day. So, as soon as we've got some more dates, we will let you know.
0: Amazing. Get back getbacktosport.com people that's the place to um to show your interest in future courses and obviously as well head along to clairepatelli.com for loads of information there as well and often and also i recommend i'd like to see a spike in the number of people signing up for free to uh what was it claire's picks no that's insane i'm signing up pick of the bunch i, that's
1: didn't, it. I didn't know that claire <laughs> oh, oh, right. there we go
0: yeah, I want to see a little spike in that because of people listening to this, because it's just free, great information. As always, you know, the emails come in. What CBD should I be doing? Well, start with the free stuff, the free quality stuff out there and then work way up the list. But that's a great opportunity um, if you want to engage a little bit more with kind of evidence informed practice and see what's out there. So and that'd be great. So thank you, you two, very much for joining us.
2: Well, thank you.
0: Um, if people want to follow you, let's have a look. I think you're both pretty sensible on social media. Claire Robertson is just at Claire Patella everywhere. It's lovely. Very nice. Um, and then uh, Claire Minchell on Twitter, you're Claire underscore Minchel. That's Twitter since 2012. And then Get That's Back really. to Sport on Instagram. Get Back to Sport on yeah. Instagram. Um, so I recommend, yeah, listeners, that you follow them. Some great information being put out there. And if you are going to Therapy Expo, then uh, yeah, check out Claire minchills presentations there. It could be three by the time you hear this podcast. Little bird told me. But um, yeah, definitely check those out. Um and I don't know, Claire Robertson, are you gonna kind of mosey on down to therapy expo and have a little chartano somewhere? I might I might, I might just do that, yeah. Heckle. Nice. I might we'll clear it up. up. <laughs> yeah, just heckle, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic, right? So, thanks everyone for joining us. Um, Gary Benson has just—I'm pleased that he showed me that people were able to watch this episode and listen to the live lounge. Gary says you've covered the questions I might have asked, Matt. Thanks to both Claire's for sharing their time, knowledge, and expertise with the FTA and wider industry. Good to catch up, Claire, in sometime. Fantastic, thanks, Gary. Yeah, Gary. Worried that you all disappeared. We will be back next week. If you listen to the podcast and you want to come along to, to the live lounge and ask questions and hang out here. Uh, Next week in episode 166, we're going to start bringing you speakers from the ST Update Theatre this year at the Expo. So my special guest will be Dr. Lucy Williamson, who's opening the show on the Wednesday with her presentation, Personalised Nutrition for the Future, the Gut Microbiome. Mm -hmm. It's Thanks to Lucy Williamson, I realised that I've developed age-related lactose intolerance. I've stopped drinking milk and it's made a huge change. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Yeah um it's fantastic i'm really pleased about that so yeah if you're interested in nutrition then um definitely that would be one uh, come next week to have a listen but yeah um that's going to be opening up the stf theater on day one at 9 15 a.m if you're interested in that then go along to the website lwnutrition.co.uk right then that's it people um claire so if you could just hang around for a second don't press any buttons so i can say thank you personally and um, everyone else in the live lounge thanks for joining us glenn murphy again thanks for hanging uh, around and um, thank you for your comments. Great chat. says Glenn, Sarah Jones. Great chat. Thank you very much. Everyone else who joined us in the live lounge, thank you. Hopefully, we shall see some of you next Tuesday. Thanks again to my guests, Claire Mitchell and Claire Robertson. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy.